folding pocket. The Fast and the Curious is part of the Acast Creators Network. You enjoy it now. Hello and welcome back to The Fast and the Curious with me, Bessie Glover. Me, Christian Hugill. And me, Team Principal, Greg James. Welcome to a podcast for a whole spectrum of Formula One fans. If you're new to the sport, just figuring it all out, you are more than welcome here. We will answer all your questions along the way. And if you've been into it for years, we'll keep that intrigue and excitement alive with access to the drivers, the teams, and our very own F1 encyclopedia, Britannica. <laughs> Christian Hugill. Hello, I'm Britannica Hugill. <laughs> As always, get in touch at Fast Curious Pod on Instagram and TikTok. Fast and Curious at ACAST.com for any questions you might have, thoughts or feelings. As we get into this week, off the back of the Hungarian Grand Prix at the Hungaro Ring. Hungaro Ring. <laughs> the Hungaro Ring. Right. I think everyone forgets that it's Hungary, but they change it to Hungar, Hungaring. Hungaro Ring. Hungaro Ring. I did my head in on the coverage. Yeah, I, I can't deal with it. Hang on, no, it, it works. It, it doesn't work. It does work. The Hungarian Grand Prix, the Hungaro... No, it doesn't work, does it? No, I thought it did Thank work. you. <laughs> Thank you. And also, when you see it written down, it's even more baffling. I was reading an article earlier and I was like, oh my God. (laughs) Does it make sense in Hungarian? I feel like it might not be for us. Do you know what I mean? Maybe. What's, hang on. No, but it's called the Hungaro ring in any language. I think we should move on from this now, potentially. I think for the first time ever, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Betty... Tell everybody, our wonderful listeners, what the hell is coming up on today's The Fast and the Curious. So we're obviously going to talk about Red Bull and Max Verstappen and just that record-breaking weekend for them at 12 consecutive wins. We're going to talk about McLaren because they've had another great week, but we've also got to mention the breaking of the trophies. Danny Ricardo's first race back on the grid. And um, we've had quite a lot of listeners that were actually out in Hungary as well. So we're going to get some listener reports, including our first Apex Humper. I just can't believe I even just said that. Um, and also, we're going to talk about the Belgian Grand Prix as well. So a lovely little menu there for you guys. I'd like one of everything, please, from that. The fact that someone is on who humped the Apex is unique <laughs> to this Formula One podcast. And we should be applauded for that. <laughs> We were chatting on the Fast and Curious WhatsApp group, which um, actually the listeners aren't allowed to join. That's just for us. And I seem to be the only one who thoroughly enjoyed the race. Am I, am I an outlier here? Am I on my own? No, I would say that I enjoyed the race. I was just in a very similar position to Christian, actually, where I was slightly hungover and I was just really excited about... Hungera f- over. I was... <laughs> God. And I was just really excited about the fact that Lewis Hamilton was on pole. And then when um, Verstappen just overtook him straight away, I just, oh, I was just like, oh no. And then kind of like turned off slightly. But I did enjoy it. Well, the mad thing about Max Verstappen winning all these races and being the fastest driver and arguably the best driver is he doesn't feature on the coverage. You don't see him. It's like, He's a very small part of the actual coverage because he's, he's gone. He's just having a drive. And we've seen that in the past with F1, certainly in the 
Schumacher, Verstappen, Hamilton dominant eras. They're out doing their own thing. There's two sides to it. I was the same with Betty. I didn't love the race. I liked the race. And there wasn't quite as much going on as there was in Silverstone. So I think I was spoilt by qualifying and spoilt by Silverstone. But it wasn't the worst race. I just think, A, we're due a classic. It's been a long time since we've had a, that was unbelievable. So we're due a classic. I'd like one of those. And the second thing is, exactly as Betty said, qualifying sold me a dummy. I really did think Mercedes were going to be more competitive than they were unfortunately it was just that Mercedes couldn't carry that qualifying pace into the race and I I was away at the weekend I was on a stag do so maybe for people watching more closer than I was it was obvious that they weren't going to carry on that into the race but because I'd not been as encyclopedic in my following of it over the weekend I'm sort of getting there on Sunday it's gonna be like oh might get a Lewis Max scrap, and we didn't. But I still enjoyed it. I just thought there were some nice little stories peppered throughout the grid. There was obviously the Daniel Ricciardo return. There was the the Alpines taking each other out, which was very sad, but it was like sort of quite quite a big moment. Then there were the McLarens doing really well again. Then there was George Russell zooming up the field throughout the whole race. I thought that was, it was sort of battles within battles. Mm. It was a little bit like, dare I say it, a little bit like a test match. I was like, <laughs> oh, actually, on the surface, looks boring. Dig and dig and dig. Little battles going on. Greg, what, one day we're going to do an episode and you're not going to talk about cricket. You're just not going to reference it. I, d- I, I disagree. I, I firmly don't think that day will come. I, I don't think that will happen. That was relevant. That <laughs> That's was relevant. fine. It's fine. <laughs> Can we talk about the elephant in the room? That everyone's angry at me for kind of ruining the race for you, Greg, on WhatsApp. Well, I was briefly angry. No, not angry. I was briefly frustrated because Christian had said earlier in the day, I'm not going to watch it live. Don't say anything on the group for a few hours. And then Christian popped back and said, oh, I am watching it live. And I was messaging and I said, oh, I haven't, I haven't caught up yet. I'm, I'm going back to the start. So I'm a bit delayed. Don't say anything. And then you replied straight away after I'd said shush <laughs> with, what was it? Like, I regret watching it. Yeah, I said... I'm watching it, wish I hadn't bothered, which was a bit of a joke. And Christian was then messaging me separately going, delete it, delete it now. (laughs) And I was like, excuse me, it's not that bad. It wasn't like I said outright, Max has won it, Greg, after overtaking Hamilton instantly, Lando Norris came second. A bit of an overreaction. Etiquette discussion needed, I think, here. Betty, if you'd have done to me what you did to Greg, I don't believe our friendship would have survived it. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I, and don't think I'm being dramatic for the podcast. I would have been so pissed off with you because instantly I know Max has won. Instantly you lose the jeopardy of, well, there could be a tyre blowout, there could be an engine thing. I, I would have been so pissed off. It was the fact that Greg had instantly said it. It, it, it was straight away. I couldn't quite believe it. So I like on Greg's behalf, I was yeah. furious I at you. you. My nan, bless her, my nan, which is no longer with us, she used to love the F1. So I'd text her and say, don't say anything. And she'd go, no problem. Lewis did well. No, well, don't say that to me. <laughs> and she was in her 80s, so she had an excuse. Better you don't have that excuse. Yeah. Did you, diso- you didn't disown your nan, did you? No, as I say, she had a, a, a bye for being an elderly lady. 
Betty doesn't have that. Me and elderly women have quite a lot in common, to be fair. But to be, I said, I wish I hadn't bothered. (laughs) You can interpret that however you want to interpret it. I gave you the benefit of the doubt, and I said that's ambiguous-ish. Exactly. It wasn't. It wasn't ambiguous. But essentially, it did mean that Max Verstappen had won. But I I didn't. It actually didn't ruin my enjoyment of it because I knew he was going to win. Yeah. There were some nice little bits. There were. It was. It threatened to be really exciting, and actually, that was enough for me. I genuinely feel that's how you've got to approach F1 nowadays. Though you can't go in thinking you're going to have a new winner because Red Bull's dominance is just so ridiculous. You've got to just ignore that. Uh, Well. Ignore it and praise it. Martin Brundle on the UK Sky coverage said a really nice line at the end of the race where he said, I actually feel quite fortunate to be living through it and watching it because if you look at how unpredictable the, the second quickest team battle is, so we it was Aston Martin at the start of the season and now obviously it's McLaren look the second quickest team. If it wasn't for Red Bull, we'd have had so many different winners. So it would have been a classic season and that just shows you how well Red Bull have done. And and it's a historic Formula One car. We're witnessing one of the great F1 cars in history. So 12 in a row is a, is a new record in the history of the sport. Yeah. Could they do every race this season? Yeah, they could. So uh, Only reliability or something silly in the first corner will, will stop them. And by them, I mean Max, because we'll talk about Checo in a minute. Max just... I've said this before... He, he has an answer for it all. He is indestructible and the car is indestructible. So we're firmly in that territory now. And that would be historic in itself. Well, should we talk about Checo then, Christian? Like you mentioned, he would be pretty happy with his performance um, at the weekend, wouldn't he? And nice to see him back on the podium as well. Yeah, step forward. Definitely a step forward. Um, still qualified ninth in what is the best car. And it, I was about to say he did well in the race, but he consistently does well in the race. Checo's a good racer. He's got to improve his qualifying so he's not in a position where he's having to battle back up. Checo will be saying to himself, okay, he wants to be at the very worst P4 in qualifying in in Belgium so he can make sure he's P2 in the race again at the very least. Why is he bad in qualifying, do you think? Like, what's going wrong there for him? It's just a very particular set of skills, judging at what point the track is at its quickest. And then when you get your moment, bang, go. You need to be 100% on it. And that is a really particular set of skills that particularly Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton have. Because by the way, Lewis's qualifying performance showed why he is sensational and why he is still so capable of being in a title fight. Isn't that interesting though? Because from what I've gathered from listening and watching and reading, Sergio Perez's driving style is quite aggressive. Yeah. And he is quite daring. And I think Martin Brundle said... He gets his elbows out and sticks them out. He's a fantastic racer. But does he just need competition literally next to him in order to raise his game? Is that what we're saying? It's very difficult for me to answer that without being in his his head. (laughs) I, I don't know. I doubt it. I think it's probably more that when you are doing a qualifying lap, you have to be every single inch of that lap has to be perfection. Whereas in a race lap... Sometimes you can get away with losing a tenth of a second because you're three seconds behind the car in front, whereas that tenth of a second in qualifying is massive. Qualifying sets the brilliant drivers like Checo is. I keep saying this, he's a race winner. He's a properly first-class driver. And the greats like Alonso, Hamilton, Verstappen. 
Shall we talk about McLaren then, guys? Because for me, this is the story of the weekend. They have backed up their success at Silverstone, which I think loads of people had question marks over whether or not they'd be able to, you know, replicate that success again. And I think, Christian, last time we did an episode, you kind of said Hungary will be really interesting um, because it's it will be more difficult for McLaren in terms of the track, et cetera, et cetera. So you weren't necessarily expecting more success, but they were very successful. Were you shocked? I wouldn't say shocked, I'd say mildly surprised. <laughs> McLaren themselves weren't expecting to be as quick in Hungary because, and we could, even go as far, and I don't want to speak out of turn, but we could class this information as <coughs> McLaren News. Because McLaren weren't expecting to be as quick in Hungary because it's a slower circuit, it's a tighter circuit, and they thought their upgrades would suit a faster circuit like Silverstone, but it performed massive step forward, probably the, the biggest transition on the grid. So it shows us that McLaren's pace in the car is genuine, that the McLaren team have done a fantastic job, genuinely, but also that their drivers keep performing at the very best. You know, Daniel Ricciardo, God bless him as much as we love him, last year wasn't squeezing the best out of the McLaren. There is no doubt that both Lando and Oscar are wringing that car's neck and getting every bit out of it. It's supremely impressive. And a, a McLaren being at the front of the grid is good for Formula One. More names at the front of the grid is good. As a team principal, I look carefully at the progress of other teams. Mm. And similarly to what you and Betty deliver on a weekly basis, I don't think it's lucky anymore. I think you're in your groove. <laughs> I think you're fun. I think you you get it. You understand the listeners. You understand what we're trying to do here. Well, thanks, boss. And I wonder whether that's the same for McLaren. It's not lucky now, is it? They're just there because they're a good team with two really good cars mm. and two really good drivers. Nothing happens with luck in F1. I mean, all right, you get bad luck. Like the Alpines had bad luck at the weekend. They got taken out of the first corner through no fault of their own. That's bad luck. This is nothing to do with luck. It's McLaren realising they were going in the wrong direction before changing it and the drivers doing a fantastic job and though the one thing that that did go wrong for them at the weekend uh was lando got too excited on the podium and broke max's trophy oh. uh that wasn't as good but i saw that um verstappen is actually getting a new trophy so they're just giving him a brand new trophy do you know how expensive they are well i do yeah and the only reason i do know is because i was joking about it on the breakfast show today uh, and saying like that's, I mean, who who sort of gives out a porcelain vase as the thing? It's handmade. And then everyone was like, they were like, mm, it's forty thousand pounds. That that's a special thing in the Hungarian Grand Prix. Yeah, I think everyone can afford a new one. Like forty thousand pounds is like a couple of tires, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. But Greg, they're handmade. They are porcelain, and they're very they're very pretty. So are the cars. We're talking about the trophy here, please. Thank you very much. I think it's got to be up there with the nicest trophy in F1. Christian might disagree with me there, but... It's not the nicest trophy in F1. It looks like it's made from a part of someone's bathroom. It's no, no it's... It's quite nana. It is quite nana. It's very nana. It is nana, but I quite like it. I, just, I feel like we've glossed over it. It's apparently going to take Max six months to get a new one. They're going to take six months to make a new one. Max will have had another 38 by then. I actually disagree with them wanting to make a new one i think the story is that that one broke 
And then the story forever will be, oh, that's the one that Lando Norris broke and became a global news story because the race wasn't that exciting. So everyone focused on the vase that broke. Mm. Part of history. So I don't know why they're like, oh, no, it has to be pristine and perfect. It's fine. Leave it as it is. It's imperfections make it perfect. Yeah. That's quite live, laugh, love of me, that, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It's gin o'clock somewhere. I could see it in my living room alongside the porcelain trophy that was handmade. (laughs) It would go very well. Well, guys, your imperfections make you perfect. Thank you. Thanks, I think. And before we move on, we've got to talk about Daniel Ricciardo, haven't we? His first race back on the grid, first race with Alpha Tauri, obviously coming in to replace Nick DeVries. Were you happy? Do you think he'd be happy, Christian, with uh, with his race? I did see um, in his post-race interview, he gave himself a 34,769 out of 10. <laughs> Sounds like he's happy. <laughs> I think he's happy. I think he was excellent this weekend. He got up to speed really well in what is a shopping trolley of a car. <laughs> he out-qualified his teammate, which is always an extremely good thing to do. He was very unlucky in being part of this first corner skittles so went right to the back battled his way through to again beat yuki he's been in good form this season and finished 13th and and you know people were saying oh well it was harsh on nick devries well nick only finished 12th once at the monaco grand prix i think it's already showing that that is a very logical swap and if daniel carries on performing that well he's putting himself very much in the shot window for that Red Bull seat next season. Because yes, it was better from Sergio, but he, he there's still pressure on Sergio. That's not enough. Uh, that was a very, very solid start. Because at McLaren, he wasn't getting enough out of the car. Well, it's flipped this weekend. He was dragging a car further up where it should be. That's what he needs to keep doing. Keep dragging it up the grid. Very solid start. Lovely to see him back. Let's do some listener questions. So... This first one is from Vicky on Instagram um, about this weekend's race. She says, what have I missed with the new force tyres thing for qualification? Why do they now have to change tyres between each of the qualifying sessions and not stick to the usual format? Very good question from Vicky. Slightly boring answer, but we'll roll with it. Usually teams can use whatever tyres they like during qualifying, but instead this weekend in qualifying one, they had to use the hards. Qualifying two, they had to use medium and qualifying three, they had to use softs. Why Why are they doing this? To save tyres. Uh, it basically stops the teams using loads of different tyres during qualifying. If this format was used all season, they reckon it'd save about... Well, they reckon it would save exactly 3,680 tyres over the course of the season. Making tyres, obviously, bad for the environment, more waste, all that sort of thing. So the good thing is... It helped mix up the grid as some of the drivers struggled to get the hards and the mediums warmed up. Softer tyres are much easier to sort of get to a properly good working temperature. The bad thing is it meant less practice running on a Friday as the teams tried to save tyres. And F1 is expensive. We need to get cars on track on Friday. So that needs a rethink. It's it's a good format. It made a good qualifying session. But we need cars to be on track on Friday. Is that it now for the rest of the season? No, it's just a trial. So there'll be another trial at the Italian Grand Prix in September. It's back to normal at Belgium this weekend. And they are continuing to look at ways they can save tyres. We spoke about this, I think, during one of the phone-ins in the garden. But they're looking at ways they can save wet tyres by not using tyre warmers, etc. So, no, just a trial. But they'll do that again in Italy. One of the phone-ins in the garden is funny. Yeah. (laughs) A totally normal thing for our podcast. Oh, just doing a phone-in in the garden. Okay, next question. Lisa from Instagram. I'd love Christian to explain park... Ferme <laughs> and the rules around it, please. <laughs> Why are you laughing? 
I like the exaggerated park thing. <laughs> I feel like that needs to be a thing now. Like, Baku, bless you, and did you kiss it out? I think every time Park Fermé is mentioned, there needs to be a real French accent. And the hand gesture. It means closed park, translated. Yeah, I know what it means. That's why I'm saying it in French. <laughs> Can I just say, the way I'm pronouncing it is the correct pronunciation. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, I got, I got, a, I got a D in GCSE French, so... Anyway, as I was saying, <laughs> Lisa on Instagram... I would love Christian to explain me <laughs> and the rules around it, please. I have uh, heard it a lot in the season, but never quite sure when it happens and why. Thank you. Park, uh, as Greg calls it, Park Ferme. Just, just Park Ferme. Park Ferme, that's fine. <laughs> sorry, yeah, sorry, my, my, my bad. Uh, park Firm basically means one of two things in motorsport. No, A. No, 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 it's not Park Firm. <laughs> no, one, no one's calling it Park Firm. No, uh, sure. Park Ferme. Oh, sure, okay, fine. Le Parc Ferme can basically mean one of two things in motorsports. <laughs> it's either an area where the car goes yeah. and is watched by marshals or engineers, like people from the FIA, the sports governing body, to make sure no work's done on it. So after the race, the cars go into Parc Ferme. Somebody important with a clipboard do loads of tests to make sure that car and driver hit a minimum weight limit, that there's a certain fuel level still in the car so they can take a fuel sample, all of that sort of thing. So that is one part of Parc Ferme. But we've also seen another bit of Parc Ferme in action. Yeah, was that when we were in the McLaren garage, Christian, and um, Lando and Oscar's car was under a sheet? Yes, that's exactly what it means. That's the second meaning. So that's Park Ferme conditions rather than actual Park Ferme itself as being an actual place. So during an F1 weekend, you can change your setup basically to make the car run as, as best it possibly can right up until the car goes out for qualifying one. From then, it's effectively under Park Ferme conditions. After that, only a very small, strict number of things can be worked on. So they can check tyre pressures. They can drain certain fluids very minor things but any damage can be fixed for example but no more setup changes as soon as your car's gone out for q1 right up until the race starts you're under part ferme conditions i was quite surprised when we were at um, silverstone to know that they have like cctv cameras above all the cars mm. so that you know people can watch and check that no one mm -hmm. is doing anything to the car. I was like, very very clever yeah very heavily controlled sport isn't it watched every Every movement is watched. But I guess it is because it's, you know, if you look at the the, the margins on those cars, the, what was that amazing fact about qualifying that Logan Sargent was only a second and a bit off the leader or something? Was that what it was? Well, that, that's just, a, you know, it is really close between everybody but Red Bull this season. The gap to the second quickest team down to the last quickest team is really small. That's why, you know, one of the slowest cars of the season has been Alfa Romeo, yet in Joe qualified fifth and Valtteri Bottas seventh in Hungary qualifying. So it's it's just so close this season. So that's why everything is watched and everything is investigated. I, I felt like we were being watched when we were loitering with intent around the back of those cars. A hundred percent, Greg. And, and also when we were, can you remember when we went in and kissed the track? There would have been people there watching us on those cameras thinking, what on earth is going on? So what we like on this podcast, obviously we've got Betty and Christian, my drivers. We have the actual Formula One drivers, but we also have a team of reserve drivers, which really is anyone who listens. You could be on the ground 
at the races. You could be uh, coming on with some breaking F1 news. You'd be giving feedback on the races. Whatever it is, you can be all around the world when we can't be there. Now, this, this week, I can barely hold it together before we speak to them because it's one of the most... <laughs> this is saying something. This is one of the most ludicrous situations that I've ever found myself in doing a podcast or a radio show. <laughs> this week, some of you have gone above and beyond and we need to give a bit of context before we speak to these people. A while ago, we discussed how the fans are allowed to go on the circuit after the race to soak up the atmosphere and to touch the tarmac. <laughs> now, Betty fully understandably asked Anne in Canada, who was one of our reserve driver reporters that week, if she'd kissed the track. Um, and then we came up with the catchphrase, did you kiss it, Anne? Did you? Did you kiss it? <laughs> did you kiss it, Anne? Uh, and then it got out of hand. Christian uh, didn't like that. So it made me want to push even further. I uh, didn't want to disrespect, disrespect his, his special tarmac. And then we wondered if anyone had ever humped the apex. Now, we, we were... We were we kissed the track at Silverstone, but Peter has taken it a step further in Hungary. He, he did get hungry for the uh, track. Oh, my God. He is joining us now <laughs> live from Budapest. It's Peter. Hello. How's it going? Yeah, really good. Thanks, Peter. And um, <laughs> I don't really know where to start, but would you like to just admit to the listeners what you've been up to over the weekend. Yeah, so um, avid listener of the podcast, big fan, big, big fan. Um, and obviously having listened, we basically took the opportunity to uh, to hump the apex, as you've been talking about, which when you say it out loud, it does sound worse, or maybe it is as bad as it sounds. No, no, it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have to admit, it wasn't, I didn't take on humping the apex, but my dear friend, Denver, who's with me now, did hump the apex, so. Denver, I just want to talk to you about your performance at the weekend because it was outrageous. I can't get over it. <laughs> I have watched that video of you humping the apex so many times this morning <laughs> and it's the facial expression for me. I can't stop watching. If I knew this morning I would be told by Betty Glover that she'd be watching videos of me humping things. <laughs> new listener to the podcast um pete showed me this on the plane and he went you've got to listen to this episode and when i heard the opportunity to be the first humper i had to do it um, the security guards around the hungara ring few funny faces i won't lie i won't lie um, and you got a bit of an insight into my love life. But mm. I, I, I need to confirm it was consensual. And yeah, it was a moment I won't forget. It's sort of, I saw the video and because uh, well, when I heard that you'd done it, it was, it was texted on the group and I thought, wow, that's fantastic. But I did worry that it was taking this podcast into laddie territory that we didn't want it to go into. And then I saw the video and thought, no, actually, it's quite sweet. No, yeah. Uh, and it's actually, it was actually quite a tender moment with the tarmac. It was gentle. Yeah, it was gentle. I, I have respect. It's, um, it's really quite something. And uh, we, we thank you so much for, for doing it. Did anyone else kiss the... Did you kiss it, Peter? Yes, they did. We did kiss it, Dan. So, Apex Humped. I guess you had a nice weekend then. Did you enjoy the race? All in all, it was a great race. It was. We, we had the general admission tickets. So we had the joys of seeing about 2% of the track. <laughs> seeing Max Verstappen and going one, two, three, 
31, 32. Oh, there's the next one. Um, so yeah, we, we had to make our own um, entertainment and figure out a lot of the race ourselves. And and boy, did you make your own entertainment by the sounds of it at the weekend. <laughs> I've consumed a lot of Formula One content over the years of my life and never have I heard a Formula One conversation quite like this one. So Peter Denver, I'd, I'd, I don't know whether that's a compliment, but I've enjoyed this chat thoroughly and I've enjoyed your account and, and detailed account of it. The details, you know, the devil's in the detail in Formula One and the detail he went into into the humping, I think was, was appreciated by us all. Peter, can I ask what you thought of your friend's performance on the Apex? What did you make of it? <laughs> it, was a, it was a mixture of pride and I'd say embarrassment. Yeah. That, that, that I can't go any further than that, really. Does it perhaps say something about you, Denver, that as soon as Peter heard this, he thought of, of you? The very, very first person I thought of. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a lover, not a fighter. I'm a lover, not a yeah. fighter. As the Apex found out. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's got that one friend who would hunt the Apex, is the thing we've learned, isn't it? And I really do think that you will inspire a generation of humpers um, when they get on the track. Thank you. And you'll always remember your first one. <laughs> we will. We will never forget. We will never forget you. Is that a sort of video that you wouldn't want your boss to see? What do you do for a living, Denver? Oh, it's something that I think my boss needs to see. I, I, I'm an area manager. I don't do anything like too highbrow, so we're all good. It's something that I will be shouting about. Your area is very much the apex. <laughs> oh, God. Denver and Peter, thank you so much for being on. And, uh, and good luck getting home from Budapest. It, it feels like it might be eventful. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's well. You have a new listener in me. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks for being on The Fast and the Curious. Nice one. Bye, Bye. guys. Take care. <laughs> wow. As I said, that, that is as, as laddy as I want the podcast to go. But they seem like very, they seemed like a very sweet boy, didn't he, Denver? Oh, so uh, sweet. <laughs> so sweet. I don't, I, doesn't strike me as a lad, lad. Do you know what I mean? Like, he, he had a great no. time. He enjoyed it. But, it, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't laddy, necessarily. But look, it's my own fault for suggesting that people hump the apex. I've only got myself to blame. Christian. Greg. A uh, few more things before we leave. As team principal, I need to do an admin check on you. How are you getting on with posting out your prize? You made a promise to Matt, who sent a brilliant voice note suggesting that F1 needs more chance in the stands. He gave us his address and everything. He's after that signed McLaren Lego that you said you'd give him. In my defence, I'd forgotten I'd said this. Well, that's okay. That's why I'm here to remind. So, yes, I will. I'm on it. Matt, you will get that. Uh, you, will, you will get it. I'm on it. I will make that happen. Okay. That's all I wanted to know. Could have been a lot quicker, that answer. Fine. Sure. And... <laughs> <laughs> and we are halfway through the season. I can't believe we're halfway through the season. And it's been I genuinely so much more enjoyable because I've been Aww. sharing it with you two and producer Jimmy and really really focusing on it and like diving in and I know more about it and I know what I'm looking for and I know where the stories are and I've really really loved it so credit to you three for um for for making it so exciting to listen to on the podcast I've really loved it and we get to my favorite circuit which is Belgium Spa this weekend love Belgium love Spa very excited for the Belgian Grand Prix uh and it does feel slightly like feels like we've been going longer than half a season, doesn't it? It feels like we, mm. we had the Silverstone weekends, we had the shakedown, we've been to factories, we've spoke to drivers, we've spoke to team principals, and now we've got our listeners at circuits 
humping things. It's it's all it's it's all gone quite silly quite quickly, hasn't it? That that very much was the aim. Yes, Betty, you have your hand raised. <laughs> Very formal of you, Greg. Um, at the start of the season, you and Christian both said that Spa was your favourite circuit. Why? Why is Spa your favourite circuit? Mine's a more superficial answer, and that is because it's in the beautiful part of the world, and it's got a very famous hill, which is quite exciting. Like it, or the, the Eau Rouge Hill, it's quite an exciting part of a racetrack. I don't know. It's just it's just a cool circuit, isn't it, Christian? Well, that yeah, and that's my summary in three words, really, as to why I love it. It's the best circuit on the calendar. It's a challenge for the drivers. You can overtake, you know, Eau Rouge going up the hill, sort a sort of S bend, then a big straight going up the hill, breaking into a hairpin, and much longer circuit in Spa, which gives you things like the weather can be different in one part of the circuit to another because it goes through Ooh. the hills. It's it's spectacular. So it's a treat to watch. And, and it's it's not had the most certain place on the calendar for boring political and money reasons in recent years. So I am, you know, I hope we have Spa on the calendar forever because it is a spectacular circuit. I'm excited for this weekend. Do drivers find it quite difficult, Christian? Yes, it's a, it's a real, real challenge. Um, there's so much to it. You know, there's a lot to learn. There's a lot of different parts of the circuit. It's massively challenging on the drivers. Can I ask a, a potentially boring question, but it might need just a quick answer. Mm. You talked, you said learning then. The drivers learn the circuit. Mm. Do you think that certain drivers will be sketching it? They'll be going round on a bike. They'll be learning it corner by corner and memorising like you would an act, like an actor would if you were memorising lines. You'd go... Turn one, turn two is this. I need to yeah. do that, that, that. Do they learn it to that level of detail, do you think? They do. And that is something I've got a bit of experience in with karting, where we were, you know, I was racing three different circuits in three weeks and races I've, and circuits I've never raced at before. I'd have a printout of the track and I would be looking at that printout in the van on the way to the track. And then when you get to the track, you walk it and you look at it. So that's exactly how they do it. And in fact, you two have seen that in action because when we went into, when lovely James at Alpine was showing us round Esteban Ocon's little room in the motorhome at Silverstone, he had a printout of the Silverstone circuit. I don't know if you two noticed it in that room. So that is exactly what they do. He did. He did. Right. They also do it on the sim, don't they? Yes, they They, do. they sit on the sim for hours and hours and hours, go through the circuit. It's a really interesting side of it. Well, I don't know if everyone else finds that interesting. I find that really interesting that someone like Lewis Hamilton will already know. It, mm. will, it will probably be muscle memory in his head. I guess he'll have to refresh his memory, but he'll remember as soon as he starts off at, at Spa, he'll go, oh, I remember 2012 here. Bang, 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 bang. Most of them will know the circuit because it's a more frequently used one. It gets used in Formula 2. It gets used in other series. So most of them will know it. Right. But it's simply... But they'll still have those printouts, Greg. Everything you said will be relevant because there's more stuff to remember. There's more of it. There's more turns. It's a longer track. It's one minute, 40-odd seconds lap time. So... There's loads to get your head around with it just because there's more of it. Will the team principals have to do the same? Because obviously we know that the drivers do it in the ways that you've described, but will the team principals have to memorise or learn the track in that sort of same way? Most of the team principals have been going to circuits like Spa for their entire careers. so it will, And they're older than the drivers, so it will be ingrained on their brains. Less team principals, but certainly race engineers, performance engineers, strategists like Randy, who we speak to at McLaren, they will have intricate details of the circuit. And then you also get performance engineers who are analysing breaking points, for example, acceleration points. Come on then, predictions for Spa. 
What are we thinking? I think it's going to be another McLaren podium, but I think it's going to be Oscar Piastri. I hope so. Oscar's Oscar's performances in the last two races have been sensational, as we said earlier. So Oscar deserves his podium. So let, let's agree with you. Let's go for a Max Verstappen win. Let's go for Oscar Piastri second. And let's Ooh. go for... Tell you who else I'd like to see who deserves a podium for a couple of battling back performances in the last two races. George Russell. So let's go for that. Betsy, what are your thoughts? Who's going to be on the podium? Well, I think that is actually a great prediction. I'd love to see a McLaren 1-2. <gasps> wow. <laughs> I yeah. would love it. It's not going to happen. I just would love it. Um, and I well, would, it might do. Yeah, and I would love Oscar to beat Lando Norris as well, because I think that that little battle between the two of them is really interesting. And the fact that Oscar has missed out on the last two podiums, but has put on brilliant performances He's very interesting. He's obviously going to be chomping at the bit. Still very young. Still lots of time. But he's a professional athlete, isn't he? He's going to want to get on that podium. Can I tell you something that makes me irrationally upset? Oh, go on. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you're going to relate to this in any way. When I see a picture of Lando with any other driver having a nice time other than Oscar, I get jealous for Oscar. <laughs> Is that weird? That's weird, isn't it? I'm too invested. That, that, that proves to me that I'm really too invested in this. So when I see Lando hanging out with Daniel Ricciardo or Alex Albon or Max Verstappen, I'm like, go and hang out with Oscar. He's like the new kid. He's sweet. He's fun. We love Oscar. Oscar can come and hang out with us. I think he'd have a great time. We love Oscar and Lando. They're brilliant. Such nice guys. And they are both performing sensationally this season. Um, well, that seems like we've done our, uh, our Belgian Grand Prix predictions rather well. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Team Principal, should we end it there? I think we've had a fantastic time. We could have just done a chat with the Humpers and that would have been enough, <laughs> I think. But thank you, both of you. It's nice to be back all together. And we will return after the Belgian Grand Prix. And then, because they get a holiday, so we should do a little summary of the first half of the season hopefully get a driver on before they go off on the holidays and um, we'll be back very soon with the next instalment of The Fast and the Curious. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.